Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. Back once again for show number 47. This is the Anime World Order podcast, recording slightly later than usual. We're all experiencing great tragedy. I am Daryl Surratt. I not only got rear-ended this morning in a car accident, (laughs) (laughs) fortunately I'm not hurt and the car is only scratched mildly, but the real pain was in what happened afterwards, and I'll let Gerald talk about that since I did that with him. Uh... That sounds bad, but that's really how I feel. <laughs> that is what six bowls of baked beans will do to you in one you know, sitting. I'm really torn. On the one hand, <sighs> I'm angry that people apparently like Gerald more than me enough that they'll invite him to hang out and not me. On the other hand, I'm kind of glad that I dodged the baked beans. I was actually asking specifically about you, and I was told that you said you didn't want to go when asked. Who told you that? Gerald did. Oh, yeah, okay. Now I understand. Now I, I asked understand. you about it, and you said uh, that doesn't sound like something for me. What happened was that Gerald decided to celebrate his birthday that we should go to a restaurant and order three gallons of baked beans. Because Gerald was a, this is a was terrible, a, terrible person. This is a collective birthday, so there were two birthdays being celebrated. It was celebrated. a good time as any for me to give everybody my Christmas presents, which I spent quite a bit of money on. They were Unicorn Power t-shirts. So just imagine a bunch of guys in Unicorn Power t-shirts eating beans. We'll probably put some videos up on our website, which is www.animeworldorder.com. Just so you know, people ended up throwing up. So yeah. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. Because you're have... idiots who would eat that much baked <laughs> beans in one sitting. Oh, God. Good job, geniuses. <laughs> On the subject of geniuses, we have a pretty ingenious show for you this week. Because, as we stated last week, ADV Films sent us a bunch of stuff to review. And we decided it's time to bite the bullet after over a year doing this podcast. We should try and act like real anime reviewers for once in that we would each pick something that we'd never seen before in our lives and review it without really having much of an idea as to what we were reviewing because in (laughs) case you haven't really figured it out most of the things we've been reviewing have been things that we have a strong opinion of one way or another usually things that we really like this time i decided to review le chevalier down volume one it's actually a early copy it goes on sale february 20th I'll be taking a look at Uta Wareru Moeno, which is the... Moeno? That's how it's pronounced <laughs> no, on... No, it is! No, that is how it's pronounced on ADV's official website for the show. I checked this myself. I just posted the link. See, look! Uta Wareru Moeno! Even in the romanization, there's no A character. Yeah, Mo is pronounced Kaitse in English. Mo? Like Larry, Mo, and Curly? I just yes. saw that Mo- MOE, so I thought Moeno. This Moe thing is corrupting the world. It's making people think that that's the way you say it whenever you see it printed. But I guess if they were phonetically Moe, it would be M-O-E dash and then like an A-Y. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. 
What do you got, Clarissa? Yeah, what, what, reviewing, what have you got? I'm reviewing the first disc of another series that ADV sent us called Nerima Daikon Brothers. Excellent. So, you can also, if you'd like, if you have a problem with any of this, send us emails, animeworldorder at gmail.com. Let's read some right now. I don't really know how to pronounce his name. I'm just going to say Vicious Smith because... I still say it's Vicus. I think Vicious sounds better, though, so I'll just go with it. And he says, a top ten of a different color. It's Vicious again. Like a stripper, the name was not given to me at birth. And I wanted to ask you for a very different top ten list. It's somewhat difficult to come up with a top ten best anime in order of importance, and it's easy to come up with a top ten worst. It's not easy for me to come up with a top ten worst. It's not easy to come up with either. What about a top ten meh anime? What are those titles that you have seen throughout the years that didn't burn your eyes out, but didn't wow you either? I'm talking about stuff like Kitty Grade or Get Backers. Shows you just watched because they're new and on TV slash DVD. So, what's your top ten so-so anime? Well, I thought the whole point of this podcast was that we don't watch things just because that's what's the newest thing out. You can't really even do that anymore. My point is that the top ten meh anime is How do you even everything. rank that? Yeah. If it's not particularly good or particularly bad, how do you even decide on a How do you rank mediocrity? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, most things out there in anime are meh. Most things you watch, and it doesn't leave any impression yeah. on you. Most of anything so. is... Yeah. Well, of course, it goes without saying that most things would be average. Yeah. It's kind of like if yeah. you say to someone, 49% are below average. <laughs> <laughs> Gerald, did you know that 40% of all holidays are taken on Monday and Friday for employees <laughs> that are sick? I'm as shocked as you are. I don't think that we could answer that question just because... There's hundreds of shows out there that would fit that criteria. And There's a never-ending sea of them. mediocrity, and we just don't watch them. Best or if we, we do, we it. stop watching them early on. They don't leave any impression on us, and we just kind of forget about them. Or we watch them, and we don't admit to it. <laughs> trying to think of shows that I watched and won't readily admit to watching. I don't think it's true that we never watch anything mediocre. I think... Oh, no. I'm sure that all of us could name things in each other's collections that are pretty lame without being, like bad hideously terrible most things out there don't reach the so bad it's good or the honestly good shows right and i mean in that case i guess it's just one of those things like we might watch it if it's got a lot of voice actors in it that i like and i want to kill some time or something but i still don't really know how to rank it you know like yeah. how do we compare it we can't rank anything that... i mean people always write into us or what have you asking us what are your top 10 what are your top 15 whatever best worst you name it, and our response is always, I'm not capable of saying, well, this is my rank 8, and this is my rank 7. Mm-hmm. What determines that? It's, it's hard to keep enough. it even down to mm-hmm. just 10. Because, I mean, as soon yeah. as you get to 10, there's immediately Do I like this more that... than I like that? Yeah, I yeah. mean, you could do it in no particular order, but then you still have to decide what goes in the list and what gets taken out of it and, it's and just... then to decide that on based upon me- the mediocrity of a show is yeah is tough i'm sure there are shows we could name that yeah. we've watched that didn't really strike us either way and either that we stopped watching or we kept watching for whatever reason but we still wouldn't really necessarily recommend it to anyone if you ask me the whole practice of quantifying opinions is counterproductive like if you go to a game review site and they've got the percentage for what they thought of the game oh nine out of ten or 90 out of 100 whatever scale yeah. or if you read movie reviews and it's like three stars four stars or abcdf for what they thought of it that doesn't really 
tell you anything. Most people will, when those things exist, just read what the grade was and make yeah. their decision based on that. You'll notice when we do our reviews, we just talk about the show. We don't really say, well, overall, I give this 8 out of 10. Or overall, uh-huh. I give this 3 stars out of 5. I'm very much in favor of the thumbs up, thumbs down system of, yes, this is worth watching, or no, don't waste your time on it. I don't like the system of 90% of everything is average, which it is. No doubt it is, but I mean, everything... I thought the rule was 90% of everything is crap. True, but I'm, yeah. I'm talking about that everything out there is either worth watching or not worth watching. Mm. Average or not. The problem comes down to that if it's not really bad, then I think it's a little harder to just say definitively this is worth your time or it isn't. Because if it's not really terrible or really extraordinary, then whether it's worth your time or not is going to come down to other factors of what's in the show and in your personal opinion. So even then, a thumbs up or thumbs down isn't necessarily going to be helpful to the, the person. I don't really like the thumbs up or thumbs down. I think it's too simplistic. I think, I don't it's, think it's too it's, simplistic as well. I don't think it actually tells the viewer or reader or whatever anything meaningful that would I, help I don't. I don't agree with just saying, I give it a thumbs up and that's it. I do agree. I prefer the, the discussion about it. But well, most people in the existence of thumbs up or thumbs down, they'll just look and see, oh, I'm only going to look at things that say thumbs up. And I'm not even going to read the things that say thumbs down because they must be bad. Yeah. Even if you elaborate and say, oh, well, I gave this a thumb down personally because mm-hmm. I didn't like whatever, but if you like right. this and you'd like it, they won't even get that far if that rating exists. Let me, let me quantify this. My feeling is that it's worthwhile to take a side, whether or not a side of, you know, either it's worth watching or not worth watching. That's my feeling. That's not what we're talking about, though. What we're talking about is just the quantification of it until yes, no, pass, fail. But ultimately the Track point... or shun. Did I just start some drama on the internet? That's right. (laughs) Traction anime podcast, dude. (laughs) Ultimately, the point of a review is that it has to be useful to other people. It's not just about the reviewer. Like, it has to actually mean something and be useful to the people who are reading it or listening to it. And so I think the merit of any review system is going to be based on how useful it is to the audience. How much information does it convey? For me, actually, I personally like... Something that's got a little more room than just thumbs up or thumbs down, but I don't really like a huge thing like a hundred percent or even like a ten point scale because I think that's too much. So you like the letter grades? That's about five. Either the letter grades or like three to five stars, maybe or something, because then at least you can get an idea of if it's one star or if it's like an F, it's really bad. If it's an A or if it's like five stars, it's really good. If it's somewhere in the middle, then you know that it's not terrible, but it's not amazing. And so it's going to be a lot more subjective as to whether you're going to potentially like it or not, or whether it's going to be worth checking it out. And then, of course, you still have to listen to the more detailed comments or read the other things. But I think that it tells you at least a little bit more. When you get to too many, like, say, 10-point scales or whatever, then you get into, like, the decimal points. Like, this game is, like, a 6.8. What the hell? What does that mean? That means nothing. It's too much. Why isn't it a 6.7? Why isn't it a 6.9? What makes it just a 6.8? Yeah, what's the difference between a 6.8 and a 6.5? Like, how much difference is there really between those two scores. It becomes meaningless at that point. I don't know. There are also reviewers out there who've got strange philosophies towards reviewing, like... Oh, yeah. There's people whose idea is that 
they will review everything based upon trying to find the person that would like this show. Mm. And that doesn't fly with me. Yeah, well, part of my disdain for video gaming media is that whenever you start dealing with point systems like that, or rating curves, so to speak, Mm -hmm. you end up with a situation where almost everything ends up getting... 9 out of 10. Yeah. Or 8 out of 10. It's like, oh, anything below 8 out of 10. Oh, that can't be worth my time. Yeah. Or if it's a well, five-star system, everything is three stars out of yeah, five. Yeah, three stars to five. Everything. Yeah. Everything, well, three stars out of five. actually, that is fine, because when you have a five-point system, there's not as much variation to put things in the middle. And so... If it's a one or a two, it's really bad. If it's a four or a five, it's really good. But most stuff is not phenomenally good or phenomenally bad. So most stuff kind of naturally is going to be in the middle there. Like I guess that's why we kind of don't care for a rating system in general. Yeah, let us know what you guys think. If you think that you prefer to have reviews where people give the overall, I think, some sort of quantifiable, objective discrete number Hmm. or letter grade or what have you it's interesting (laughs) we've just stayed away from it because we've found that so much of it just doesn't mean anything eventually if you keep going with it i mean even stars once you start getting into half stars that may as well be a 10 point system yeah we'd still have to go into detail in the series anyway so we'd still be doing the same thing we're doing now it's just we'd be tacking on a number or something at the end yeah right and in the end you still really need to listen to the whole review or read the whole review so that's just the way that that uh, point that's just the way we do it i mean anime pulse has a rating system i believe it's yeah. a one to five point scale yeah where they have five different grades of right right things so people might like that a lot because you have no way of knowing whether or not we like or dislike a show if you go to our website yeah. and click on our review index you just have right. list of shows episode we reviewed them in mm-hmm. no idea what we thought about the show just from the index that's true. the only way you can know what we thought about it is by listening to the episode I almost think that's a good thing, but let us know. (laughs) Maybe you think that's entirely too obnoxious. Hmm. Anyway, what else do we got? Let's go to the voicemails. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can call us up at 206-666-4AWO. That's 206-666-4296. You can also, if you have a microphone plugged into your computer and Flash installed in your browser, this is to say if you're not using a crappy browser, (coughs) Safari. Sorry. I got to get some water there. But you can go and click on the audio link on the right sidebar of www.animeworldorder.com and it'll launch a Flash application. You can record voicemails that way. Let's go to this one here that we got from the phone lines. You bastards. Oh, hey, this is Mark from San Diego. I'm going through all your old archives, listening to your show. I'm a new anime fan, blah, blah, blah. I'm watching Cowboy Bebop, and somebody calls in and says, Hey, what do you think of Cowboy Bebop? And you go, Spike dies. You damn, you spoiled it for me. I'm like in the middle of disc four, so uh, thanks for uh, spoiling the show for me. I know I'm a thousand years behind the times, but still, I didn't know Spike died. Thanks a lot, guys. Keep up the good work. I'm, I'll be listening. Yeah! Um. <laughs> Mission complete! No need for the podcast anymore. <laughs> Life goal accomplished. <laughs> the sad thing is, is that we didn't even really do that in terms of wanting to spoil the show. It's just that it's become such the running joke. Right. Now. It's a yeah. internet catchphrase at this point. Yeah. So, dude who hasn't watched Cowboy Bebop yet, 
wow, you've been on the internet and haven't had it spoiled for you already? It's like an image macro all over the place. It's acceptable to use as a live journal icon. Yeah. I guess we kind of figure because it's a running internet joke that there wouldn't be anybody. It's a running internet joke. It's been massively popular on Adult Swim. It's rerun and rerun and rerun. Ever since it started, it's been rerunning. And so there's not a whole lot of people out there who have not seen Cowboy Bebop and are not aware of it. However, I'm not going to state that I'm not giddy that I ruined Cowboy (laughs) Bebop for someone. (laughs) Oh, well. Just remember... It's not what happens, it's how it happens, and the experience of watching it. So yep. Thank you, J. Okay. Michael Straczynski. Hey! Well, actually, I'm cool with that. <laughs> That's not a bad comparison. No, it's something he says a lot, though. Yeah. Alright, so, we've been neglecting the audio count for a while, but this one's been sitting here for a month. We haven't played it. We're gonna fix that right now. Hi, Daryl. Thank you for calling Daryl Damage Goods. But nonetheless, shame on you for spoiling his dreams of getting married at Thanriel Land. You may shoot all anti-girl rays, but Gerald doesn't even show up on the girl radar. I'm worried about him. What if he goes out and starts watching Canon or Trinity Blood? I implore you to take Gerald out to get drunk on beer like a real man. Or shoot some deer or go into the forest and fight some bears. Whatever makes you manly. Because, Daryl, I know you can... I can count on you to make Daryl the man. Whatever means possible. Thank you. Okay, bye. I think the task of making Gerald manly is an impossible one. Fighting a bear. It's too much. It's too much for any mortal person. It's been a dream of mine to fight a bear. Yeah, Daryl, why don't you take me out drinking? No, listen, fighting a bear, killing a bear is a manly thing to do, but you have to do it without weapons or if you do use weapons it can only be weapons of your own making no guns you're not a man if you kill a bear with a gun all right you got to go out and you have to box a bear to death takamura style exactly i ruined it (laughs) yes you have to just punch a bear in the face until it dies and then wear its bear skin and if you reach into the bear's pockets you'll have unlimited gold Yeah, I think I'm probably going to have to agree with Clarissa. I don't think I'm cut out for that line of work. Oh, this is coming from a man who was not capable of consuming six, uh, any six beans bowls of beans. All. I'm sorry, I didn't consume six bowls of beans. Any yeah. beans at all. That has nothing to do with manliness, Gerald. That's simply <laughs> stupidity and self-hatred and hatred for everyone else around you. Neither does drinking. drinking Wait a second, I think, Clarissa, you've so. got some potential there. I think based on that observation, that point of observation correction, I think you're the one who can make Gerald a real man. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's possible. And then marry him. No, no. Hmm. No, I Why don't would you that. want to do that to me, We Darryl? have to keep the podcast going, and if Gerald gets deported out of the country, then this podcast is over. Look, he can use Skype from overseas. Maybe. Uh, don't mention that, Daryl. I'd rather that not. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize that using Skype overseas was a sensitive subject because of DSL availability <laughs> outside of America. Yeah, that's right. All right. So, that's probably going to do it for our emails and stuff this week, but... I guess since we're busy people doing busy things, as are you, let us proceed onwards to determining what's going on in the world of the news, if there is any. Let's news! Working to restore power. 
And we're going to start with things that you know everybody else has talked about because it takes such a long time for our episodes to get out, but we'll go with them anyway. First of all, as a lot of you have probably heard, Paprika has not gotten an Oscar nomination for Best Animated Film. Just in case you forgot, Best Animated Feature Film Oscars this year are Cars, Happy Feet, and Monster House. Now, I'm pretty sure any reasonable person doesn't exactly take the Oscars as the uh, pinnacle of what is actually the best film of the year. I haven't actually seen any of those movies. Also, uh, we talked about a story, what's it now, two weeks ago, I think, where we talked about that Sony was denying adult content on Blu-ray. And the only reason I bring this up again is because Sony came out and they denied that they're denying adult content. (laughs) I thought that that wouldn't last very long. Yeah, this is just really a follow-up to it. Sony is saying that we don't prohibit anything from it, while other people are saying, yes, they don't prohibit it, but they certainly discourage it. Right, you were saying that they'd penalize any of the duplication centers that they saw were duplicating porn discs? No, I didn't say that. All I saw was that it was from one of the uh, producers at one of the porn companies, and he just said that we're going with HD DVD because Sony's making it too difficult. That's that's just summing it up. He didn't go into any specifics. Apparently, HD DVD is a little cheaper to produce for as well. Yeah, they say that all of these discs, HD DVD and Blu-ray, are more expensive than DVD. Well, yeah. I was looking online, and they actually had blank Blu-ray media. It's $40 per blank, and I didn't see any burners for it. There are burners, but... It probably just cost $2,000. The burners are... The cheapest one I saw was $500, and the really neat thing about it was the last I heard, they don't play Blu-ray DVDs. Right, I remember hearing that. (laughs) Rim and Scott were talking about it. Just to follow up to that, someone actually argues that the same argument that we had, quoting this right now, porn industry's adoption of the VHS in the VCR era helped out to win the format over Sony and Betamax. And then, however, other analysts do not agree. Other analysts are wrong. (laughs) VHS taking off had nothing to do with porn, says John Petty of John Petty Research. He says, it was one-fourth to one-half the price of Betamax. Porn did not propel VHS. What a petty researcher. Oh. (laughs) P-E-D-D-I-E. Anyway, I have a hard time believing that. Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, I'm sure that price was an issue, but I really don't believe that porn had nothing to do with it. Because if you look at any new format or technology, porn is always one of the driving forces behind it. People like sex, so... (laughs) Yeah, from what I've heard from people was that the VHS was the first easy way that they didn't have to go to porn theaters or whatever they had to do back then. Yeah, I mean, I think we mentioned once, and I said something like it was like the first time that people could really have it in their own homes, and somebody mentioned that, you know, I wasn't technically correct in the sense of that they had stag reels and such, but the thing is, is that... Those are hard to set up. Those, yeah, those things were not accessible to the wide population. Yes, some people may have had those, but weren't they fairly expensive and difficult to set up? So well, I really you, don't you, think that... You had to have a certain amount of expertise in order to set yeah. those things up. Not a lot, but I mean, from what I understand, from what my cinema teacher told me, like the second or third movie ever made was porn. Yeah, so I don't think that even though there were things that people might have had in the home before, I don't think they were as accessible as it became with VHS and the VCR. That made it accessible to a lot more people for the home. So Anyway, yeah, that was just a follow-up to it. Who knows what Sony is talking about these days? Back to the anime news, or actually <sighs> not back to the anime news, Tokyopop released this press release. Apparently, they are going to be doing some sort of Princess Eye Blitz this year. 
Now, for those of you who don't oh, know, goody. Princess Eye is a manga that is written by Courtney Love. Oh, it's not written by Courtney Love. Tokyo Pop just wants people to think that Courtney Love has some involvement in this. No, if you actually check, it says that it's written by DJ Milky, which is a fake name and persona created by Stu Levy, who's the guy who runs Tokyo Pop. So yeah, it's written by, like, this white guy businessman. Courtney Love is the second worst role model for girls out there. Yeah, she was on Martha Stewart once, and Martha Stewart handed her some knitting needles to try and show her how to make a fashionable sweater, but she kept sticking them in her arm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Um, I don't know. I think I'd be tempted to stab myself if I was on Martha Stewart. She is credited as the original creator, and apparently they're going to be coming out with a daily newspaper comic strip, novels, an art and poetry book, music, and they're working on a film. All about this. Oh, it couldn't possibly be any worse than that. What are you going to do? Marketing. My God. I didn't even know that Princess I was as popular as it was. They I didn't ran know commercials any- for it. It doesn't need to be popular. All it needs is the company needs to want to make it popular and be willing to pump a lot of money in it. And they're certainly willing to do that because Stu Levy is not only the writer of Princess I, but he's also writing the song lyrics and all that shitty poetry. What we're learning here is that he's definitely willing to spend a whole lot of money to promote himself without actually admitting to it. Now, does anybody here know of anyone who's read Princess I? No. Do we know anyone? No. No one? <laughs> Do we know of anyone? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, Maybe it's just cause... nobody who'd admit it. Not that I can think of offhand, anyway. Man, everything about Tokyo Pop is just trying to lie to people with the whole OEL manga and DJ Milky, this fake persona with the MySpace that makes it seem like he's a guy from Tokyo or whatever. Man, fuck Stu Levy. Goddamn lying, deceptive piece of shit. Anyway, back to actual anime news. Yes, the uh, giant underpants robot is getting a sequel show. Steel Jig is getting a sequel show made in Japan. Steel Jig, the giant robot show that is very popular in the Spanish world, featuring a uh, man wearing a leisure suit and gold chains. I kid you not, he looks friggin' awesome. Going to be having a sequel series that's going to premiere on April 5th. Although, on the other hand, this is actually a Gona Guy series. Although, I don't believe Gona Guy has got a lot to do with the sequel that's being made. Hmm. I don't know what prompted this, and I really wish that they would update the awful-as-hell mech design that they use for well, that Well, they show. did change up his design. It looks kind of vaguely Ava-ish. Oh, well, like They everything. released a promotional picture of it. I'm sort of hopeful for this one because it's being directed by Jun Kawagawe, who also did... Shin Getter Robo. All the Getter Robo remakes, mm-hmm. like yeah. the OAVs, Shin Getter vs. Neo, New Getter Robo. He also did Cyborg 009, the remake of that, yeah. which I liked a lot. Which we were the only ones who liked, apparently. Apparently so. Yeah. So I'm hoping it's not another Guy King. Right, right. Yeah, I'm hoping that too. But the artwork, too. the redesigned character designs, because they're not that close to the original Go to Or Guy some ones. of the uh, Tetsujin 28 <laughs> remakes. The yeah. live action. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Dave Merrill clip of the live action Tetsujin 28 from way back when, where instead of doing a forced perspective to show how tall they were, all the actors would just crouch down and look up at the camera. <laughs> But, I mean, they didn't even use the forced perspective in what I saw. They just had him walking around on the beach hmm. with the guys next to them. It was terrible. Yeah, yeah, um, I know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, this one has certainly got some good 
pedigree behind it. I'm going to admit straight up, I've never seen a single episode of Steel Jig. I just see that mech design. I want to see an episode, but the mech design is just so bad. You're I don't a failure know. of a mech fan, Gerald. If I could find an episode, I would. <laughs> Although I think that there are some on YouTube. I'm just guessing because everything is on YouTube. I'm sure you can find them. They'd probably be in Spanish, but... <laughs> That's fine. I watched a lot of anime in Spanish. Yeah. Watched most of Slam Dunk and Saint Say in Spanish. Is that why you hate <laughs> Slam Dunk so much? Because it was all in Spanish <laughs> and you didn't know what was going on? No, I just remember watching that on every Sunday morning and, like... <laughs> The entire episode would just be him looking back and forth and then going inside his head saying, what'll I do? Will, will I shoot this now? What'll I do? And then for like three months, that was what he would do. Oh, just like Captain Tsubasa then. Yes. <laughs> I didn't see any of Captain Tsubasa, but man, just three months of him looking at the ball and about to shoot. <laughs> <sighs> Some other news. Apparently, there's been quite a number of anime conventions that have been canceled this year. Just to name a few, Gen Con SoCal, which is actually not... Not strictly, the Gen Con. No, not the Gen Con, and it's not strictly an anime convention either. Garden City Anime Festival, Anime Express, which is just <laughs> up the road from here in Daytona. Because Comic-Con. of tornadoes, wasn't Tor- it? Yeah, yeah yes. tornadoes is the, uh, the, the cover reason. Yeah. <laughs> the actual reasons that the college doesn't want anything to do. Let me explain to everyone on the internet what Anime Express is. All right. Anime Express is an anime convention held on the campus of Embry-Riddle, best known as being where the September 11th hijackers learned how to fly. So that's the first thing you need to know. The second thing you need to know about Anime Express was that up until last year... It was the only convention that did this. You were allowed to sleep on campus. You wouldn't go back to a hotel room or anything. You'd just sleep on the grounds. You could and just by the way, there was it. no faculty or anything on staff. They would wreck that place yeah. for every single year. It was the oldest anime con in Florida. It ran mm-hmm. longer than any other con. I think they were, what, nine years or something? Eight this years? This year would be its tenth year. And I didn't even know it existed. When my first anime con was AWA 4 in around 1998, mm-hmm. we went to Atlanta because there were no cons in Florida. But there was Anime Express, just none of us knew about it. It's pretty nuts. I mean, I don't know of any anime convention, and I mean, there might be some, but I don't know of any that just say, basically, you can sleep wherever you want. It was a wretched convention, but they did give me a free hotel room and make me a guest. It was a convention where you could basically get away with anything, and Mm -hmm. that's why it was extremely memorable for me. (laughs) I'm, I'm sad to see it go. Well, it's just being postponed. We don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I'm thinking maybe not because part of the reason they got shut down was for illegal activities. Like, I remember one year they busted some kids for having sex in the video room since no one was in there to monitor the video rooms. Anime Express had, like, seven video rooms, and the way they'd program them all would be like, all right, XTV, episode 1 through 24, however long the series is, just run through the whole thing. So there were seven video rooms, and all anyone would use them for was to sleep in, or in this case, pork. Anyway, other conventions, Comic-Con, Aniki-Con, and Anime Tour for the Cure, which actually is unusual in that it was meant to be a two-day Saturday-Sunday thing, and on Saturday, they said, hey, we're canceling it on Sunday. So, hmm. Hmm. And as it turns out, the story behind this one is absolutely huge. The otaku.com has a full write-up, but basically what happened was the people or person, I suppose, running this event that was allegedly for charity stole all the money and ran off with it. And so if you head over to the otaku.com, you can get a full 
right up on that. They've suspended all their news operations just to report on this scam. You can also check out Anime Pulse since they do the otaku.com podcast as well. Adam, who runs the otaku.com, was recently a guest on their show, and he gives his whole side of the story, but it's pretty messed up. And for reference, when we announced that they were doing that art contest for charity where the winners would get six Wiis and the two PlayStation 3s, that was for this. So now there's eight winners of that contest who are out of a prize, and they're trying to raise the money to at least get these people their prizes, because the guy who ran that con was a total scammer. And also another one, uh, LamaCon or Yamacon, um, however you pronounce it, was postponed. But from what I understand, all of these were postponed for a multitude of different reasons. AnikiCon, which is a German convention, though, was canceled because of lack of interest. That's as good a reason as any to cancel a con. Lack of interest? Wait, is it lack of interest on the part of the staff or lack of interest on the part of attendees? I think it was lack of interest on the part of attendees. L- all right. Look, if it saves the world from German cosplay, then that's... That's perfectly fine. (laughs) We'll never get that time back. We'd like to thank our listeners for sending us in tapes of German cosplay. Yes, yes. uh. I think that there are probably too many anime conventions out there. I'm not saying that this is directly the sign of it. I don't know if I think there's too many anime cons or if it's just that not enough of them do anything especially distinctive. Because if you think about it, it's almost like... Just instead of having sci-fi cons or gaming cons or cons for Star Trek or whatever, it's kind of like just saying, like, every con is going to be a TV con. And that's it. And so, like, every con would be so spread out. Because there's just so many different things going on in anime and manga as a whole. Maybe there just need to be more cons that focus in on specific things. For specific series or... Yeah, do more cons for specific series, maybe, or The problem with that is that if you're a convention organizer, you want to get as many people in that door as possible. And Mm -hmm. so, oh, if you spread the net even wider and say, oh, not just anime, but also this, 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 and this, you can potentially bring in more people. Right. I guess we've talked about this a lot. I think that the three of us, we should throw the Cyborg 009 con. We should rent out the Baltimore Convention Center, the entire (laughs) thing. Cyborg 009. There will be like six people. <laughs> I would break my oh, vow to never safe. staff a con. Oh. Uh. But you'd have the entire Baltimore Convention Center to yourself. I don't think um, we could get that many donations from listeners. <laughs> I don't think they like us that much. $100,000 or something? <laughs> Nobody uh. likes us that much. There was uh, some news also recently out from Anime LA. Bandai Visual, the guys who have Oniamis had a panel, just so we review, they are releasing the Gunbuster DVD set very, very soon, at the end of February. And this was basically a panel about Gunbuster and what they're doing, and of note is that they've actually officially announced that they've got the wings of Oniamis. They're actually announced Oniamis, and we knew that they would, because their fucking name is Oniamis. They've got no other, nothing else to say about it than that. And some of the news, a lot of it was basically about the Gunbuster release. I won't go into the details about it, other than that one of the issues has come up that they actually changed some of the music in Gunbuster. It was apparently in the first episode, and there was some music during a training session. And they changed the music for this. They used another part of the uh, Gunbuster soundtrack. Apparently, it was a copyright issue. So, Oh, no, none of the fanboys will shell out all the money for that collector's edition set, because they changed the music. It's kind of weird, though, because it wasn't a copyright issue when Gunbuster re- was released here before. 
and it wasn't a copyright issue when it was released on DVD in Japan. So why is it a copyright issue now? Why would it be a copyright issue if it was released in DVD in Japan? I think that this is a similar issue maybe to something like, I don't know, Macross 7. Was it a licensed song from something else? I mean, you said it was part of the Gunbuster soundtrack anyway, right? I don't know the details of it. All I know is that apparently it was a copyright issue. I remember that music, and the music didn't seem any more distinctive than the rest of the Gunbuster soundtrack. I think clearly the proper solution is to replace it with the song from South Park, all about 80s training montages. And so... I'm reading some it's things, and some people are speculating that it might be because it sounds too similar to a song from Chariots of Fire, but you can't really pull a thing because it no. kind of sounds like another song. No, no, that's yeah. I don't believe that's the issue at all. If it is an issue, then it's a stupid reason to pull it. Anyway, I don't know the details of it. It's not something that you would notice if you haven't seen the show before, but it's kind of like they got so close to making this like the perfect release, and then... This just had to happen. I'm not going to go as far as to say, I'm not going to buy it now, but it kind of no, sucks. No, everyone else will do that, though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm reading people on message boards and stuff losing their shit over this. Here's my question. All these people who are mad about Gunbuster, how come they're not equally as mad over the Bandai visual releases of the Pat Labor movies? I mean, think about it. It's not like you got the original audio in those at all. They took out all the music. All the dialogue is different. You don't have any of the original soundtrack in either of those Pat Labor movies. Oshi approved of it. Anno approved of the change in Gunbuster. Why is this any different? Why is Pat Labor okay and why is Gunbuster wrong? That's, that's a different situation entirely, Daryl. No matter what reason you come up with, you still don't have the original audio of the film. Did you boycott the Pat Labor releases as well? Did you cancel your pre-orders there? I don't know if I'm going to buy it, but that's more, I think, a price issue than anything else, because aren't they not doing a low-price version of Gunbuster? Isn't it only, like, the deluxe expensive? That's what I understand, yeah. Yeah, so... hmm. In addition to them saying that they were going to be releasing the Wings of Oniami as as well as Gunbuster and Diebuster, they're also going to release the Wings of Reen, which is Ah. related to Or Battle or Dunbine. Yeah. I think Gerald left it out because he hates Dunbar. That must be it. You're on to something. He's Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> anyway, I will, uh, so without further ado, the rest of the show. Hi, I'm Mike Nicholas. Join me for a regular discussion about the anime and manga industry in North America, from current events, popular trends and titles, and the business side. Our panel will have different takes on all of this and likely make fun of each other in the process, too and all from a Canadian perspective. It's the Anime Roundtable on thecomicden.com. Look for us on iTunes, Podcast Pickle, or your favorite podcast directory. Or look us up on our website, podcasts.thecomicden.com. I hope to see you there.
things that ADV sent us, I kept one disc out of it and gave everything else over to Clarissa and Gerald. The disc I kept was what's called a check disc, which is to say it didn't have a printed label on it, and it came in a plastic DVD-R sleeve that was labeled with a Sharpie. That's because this DVD doesn't actually come out until February 20th. And since we're not anime on DVD, we are not terribly concerned with giving a grade to packaging. If you really want to know the quality of cardboard slip covers and gold foil, go read their review. But when I looked at it, I assumed it was a DVD-R that they sent to me. But then once I took it out of the case, I saw it was an actual pressed disc, which meant that both the top and the bottom looked exactly the same. I'm looking at the plastic hub of this thing. I see that ADV Films is imprinted on one side. Oh, that's got to be the top, right? Because ADV Films, this would be like the label. Wrong. Wrong. Eventually, like after 10 minutes, I figured out my disc is upside down in my player. I got got this thing started (laughs) up. How long? It was probably less time. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah, all right. That's the ticket. (laughs) Of course, once I got it up and working, then I had to watch that amazing ad for the Anime Network. The one that it's all like, it's not manga, it's manga. And I used to laugh at the silliness of that ad. But thanks to the nation of Ireland, I now know how necessary and proper these measures are. And it's, he says it in a southern accent. Too. Yeah, yeah. No, well, it's a Texan accent. So it wasn't the what is anime ad? No, no, no. That, ad? no that's, that's, that's old been, news. Yeah. No, okay, good, good. <laughs> hate that ad. Normally I'd be concerned about how both the ad for the Anime Network as well as New Type USA both play at the start of the disc before the menu even shows up. Since, hey, why not put that in the extra section? But I guess people need to learn that important life lesson. It's not manga, it's manga. The show in question I'm supposed to be talking about is Le Chevalier Deon, which is probably the most recent series I have ever reviewed on this podcast. Yes, it's even more French for me to mispronounce following the stellar Belladonna review, but... Oh, mispronouncing. I don't know anything about that. Don't know a thing about it. No. Much like The Dagger of Kamui and Full Metal Alchemist, which I reviewed in previous shows, Le Chevalier is a work of historical fiction, which is to say real-life historical figures interacting with fictitious characters. In this case, it's set in France during the mid-1700s, that was when Louis the Fifteenth was king. For reference, the French Revolution happened when Louis the Sixteenth was king. That's a subject matter for another very famous historical fiction anime, The Rose of Versailles, which someday I ought to rewatch that series so I could review it. Mm. Le Chevalier d'Eon is made by Production IG, which has done a lot of really good work. I think what most people know them for here in America is that they did all of Ghost in the Shell, so both the movies and the TV series for that. And in some aspects, this series has a very similar feel to Ghost in the Shell, despite being in a totally different setting. There's no cybercrime or Matrix-style kung fu. Rather, I should say the Matrix had Ghost in the Shell. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) The series is 24 episodes long. It started airing in Japan in the fall of 2006, which is to say it still has not ended in Japan. It's still going on right now. And in fact, right after the series ends in Japan, the first DVD of it comes out here in America. So that's about as fast of an American DVD release as you can possibly hope for. And since it's a pretty difficult show to fansub due to the setting requiring the fansubbers to know about not just some pretty tough Japanese, but also French as well as Latin, they've only just released episode 13 via the fansubs a few days ago prior to this recording. 
So let me put it this way. When ADV licensed the series back in the beginning of November, the fan subbers were on episode nine. So from November to the end of January, about three or four episodes got fan subbed of this show. And that's with two different release groups working on it. So I'm thinking the official release is probably actually going to beat the fan sub ones in coming out. I guess between that really fast track release that they're putting on this and the fact that Anime News Network was set to be a Le Chevalier theme for about a week or so, that week that all the real anime reviewers got their reviews up, that says to me that ADV really hopes this one succeeds. But unlike the other series that they're really putting a lot of marketing push behind, namely The Giver and Coyote Ragtime Show, I also hope that Le Chevalier succeeds. The anime for this is based off of a novel by a guy named To Ubukata, who is a novelist. He's probably best known for also doing Fafner. He also did a manga version of this as well. It's a bit different. It starts at a different point in the anime. It handles some elements differently. But as the series name, Le Chevalier Deon, suggests, this show is about Le Chevalier Deon, otherwise known as Deon de Beaumont. This guy was a real person. His full name was actually Charles Genevieve Louis Auguste Andre Timothy Aon de Beaumont. Since that's too goddamn long, people just called him Deon. (laughs) There's a hell of a lot to be said about this guy, but I think the first sentence on his Wikipedia page sums it up pretty nicely. He was a spy, soldier, and Freemason who lived the first half of his life as a man and the second half as a woman. As the story goes, he'd often disguise himself as a woman for doing spy work and claim to be named Leah de Beaumont, but a lot of details of his life are somewhat sketchy, which is why he's a pretty good subject for historical fiction. In the anime, they address this matter by creating the separate fictional character, Leah de Beaumont, as Dayon's sister, though mild spoilers, the very first scene you see in the very first episode, her corpse is discovered in a coffin with the word Psalms written on it, and... My gut reaction to that was, oh, great, more mysterious Christian imagery and terminology that probably doesn't mean anything in anime. Yeah, we know how well Japanese creators tend to do with that. Right. The Japanese, for those who don't know, they're primarily Shinto and Buddhist, and they have repeatedly demonstrated over the years that they, by and large, don't know shit about Christianity or Catholicism. But they think it looks really cool. Yeah, I'm sure when the missionaries first came to Japan, the peasants probably all thought that the Pope was like some wizard who could fly around and shoot lightning. And if anime is anything to go by, people still really want to believe. Though, I guess if you think about it, the current Pope looks a lot like Emperor Palpatine, (laughs) and Emperor Palpatine (laughs) could shoot some lightning. So the belief continues on. Although it might not be as bad as the poor Jewish people who, I think... Every occult anime ever seems to incorporate the, the Star, Star of David, David in place of actual pentacles <laughs> or pentagrams for some strange <laughs> reason that I've yet to figure out. Yeah, I loved Rikio having the Star of David on his hand to show that he had power. Wait a second, Trinity Blood has a pope, and that's an entirely accurate pope, thank you very much. Yes, Robocop. <laughs> I would elect Robocop Well, for that's Pope. because Trinity Blood is a deep and spiritual piece of Didn't art. Didn't you see how the main character's name was Abel and the other dude was Cain? That shit is deep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway. Zeppelins. Uh, okay, go show. on. The death of Leah de Beaumont sets Dayon, who at the start of the series works as a spy for King Louis XV, 
onto an investigation into some mysterious shadowy events involving a lot of political intrigue and secret organizations with an element of the supernatural, such as alchemy, magical spells, ghosts, possession, as well as the undead. For the first four episodes, the villains of this series are the Duke d'Orléans, who was at the time the regent of France. The Duke of Orléans was also a villain in The Rose of Versailles, even though this character is not really based on any actual historical Duke of Orléans. The end credits after the first episode show the dates that all the real characters lived and died from, and the only one that isn't accurate is the Duke, since he's kind of multiple different people rolled into one character. I say after the first episode, because the first episode end credits are a summary of pretty much the entire second episode and all the action scenes contained within it. I guess because it was a TV show, the first episode is mostly dialogue. They wanted to tell people who might otherwise be kind of bored that, yes, there's a lot of action scenes in the show. Fortunately, they don't ever do that again, because when you see the credits, it's not like, oh, well, great. Now I've seen the second episode. But there's another villain that instantly piqued my interest in the series, because it's someone who is probably one of the single best characters ever to involve in historical fiction. And as such, he gets used quite a bit. I'm referring, of course, to the Comte de Saint-Germain, or as I pronounce it, the Comte de Saint-Germain. I don't know why I don't say the Count of Saint-Germain. At first I thought you were going to say Hitler, and I'm like, wait, no. Hitler's really good too, but no. If you don't know about this guy, he is incredibly bizarre. As the story goes, the guy was a total genius who spoke several languages and played music incredibly well, but since he wasn't technically born a noble, there's no record of when he was born. Nobody really knows where he was from. Nobody knows how he got his money. Apparently he just would give away precious gems to people like it was nothing, and he'd walk around claiming that he knew the secrets of alchemy and how to transmute metals, how to remove flaws from diamonds, and stuff like that. He'd hold these grand banquets, but apparently no one ever saw him eat, no one ever saw him sleep, nobody knows when he died, and since he'd always walk around claiming to be immortal, people were continuously just citing him over the years. Supposedly, he helped start the French Revolution, and then after that, the American Revolution. There's just so many stories of things that the Comte de Saint-Germain supposedly did, and so he can kind of used for anything. A few shows ago, Clarissa reviewed the anime D. Greyman, and the villain of that is a character named the Earl of the Millennium, and he is directly inspired by the Comte de Saint-Germain. Additionally, the Counts of Monte Cristo is portrayed in Gankutsuo, another very Comte de Saint-Germain sort of character. So even though, yes, the show has weird occult stuff in it, as long as they have their reason be the Comte de Saint-Germain did it, that's practically a free pass in my book because people have started cults about this man. (laughs) The first volume, and apparently each subsequent one, comes with historical notes for lots of the characters. And in fact, they include a separate commentary track for a selected episode with the translator for the series, as well as Janice Williams. And it's entirely about historical notes. For those who don't know, Janice Williams is ADV's lead media coordinator, and I learned from listening to the commentary track that part of the media coordinator's job is to proofread subtitles on ADV's DVDs. And that concerned me, because I couldn't help but think about the subtitles on Aura Battler Dunbine and how god-awful atrocious they were. So does Media Blasters even have one of these people? Probably not. But fortunately, I didn't notice anything that out of the ordinary with the subtitles here. I like this track a lot since it outlined, among other things, just exactly what went into all that 
biblical translation stuff because some of it was in Latin and some of it was in French and some of it was Japanese people quoting things. And to make matters worse, sometimes they'd paraphrase or they'd take bits and pieces from different psalms and put them together and get something else. And so they had to do a lot of work to figure out what the hell are they actually saying. I would say, based on this first disc, that the four episodes included here are a really solid start to the series. In these four episodes, you get an explanation of the characters. They explain the aspects of the premise. But since the show is essentially about solving a grand mystery, there are a lot of things that you still don't know the answer to. And since it's by production IG, it almost goes without saying that it looks absolutely fantastic. I think, personally, they probably do some of the best work when it comes to integrating 2D and 3D, the CG animation with the, I guess it's still digital animation. It doesn't look really jarring and out of place like how it looks in a lot of other shows. There's not really the cheap digital panning that really initial gives D, things away. Yeah. yeah, Initial D, but to give them some slack, Initial D was from several years ago. You can tell that Production IG did a ton of research on capturing the look of the period setting, getting the clothes right, getting the weaponry accurate. And I was surprised to hear that the Japanese audio track was actually in 5.1. Because even today, most shows you buy on DVD still have 2.0 for the Japanese track, even though they are made so that you can produce a 5.1 dub. I guess, do people in Japan not really care about sound as a rule? I don't know. But another interesting thing about Le Chevalier Down, its director. It's directed by a guy named oh, good. Kazuhiro Furuhashi, who's worked with Mamoru Oshii since the Urusei Atsura days. And he's done lots of various things over the years. Gerald actually reviewed another show of his a while back, which was also historical fiction, uh, Zapang. Mm-hmm. He directed that too. But he's probably best known to us for directing Ruroni Kenshin, both the TV series as well as the OAVs. So all the people who say, oh, the TV series suck, the OAVs are great. Same guy. Oh, come on, you. He also did the Fatal Fury anime. A lot of other like minor crappy things like Binchotan, but whatever. <laughs> the Kenshin Fatal Fury pedigree is really what matters here. Because when you look at the fights in this show, you can see some similarities. For example, the trademark fighting pose for Le Chevalier Deon is pretty much identical to Kenshin's. Additionally, the fights themselves are very quick, very fluid. At times, they're pretty brutal. I would say it's closer to the Kenshin OAV style of fights than the Kenshin TV series style, which, you know, I still like that style, but the TV series was mostly like the calling out special attack names, Shonen Jump sort of fighting. So if this was by the guy that did Fatal Fury, are there any scenes of people pulling off their cape and then they've got like... A totally armored. different outfit? No, <laughs> nothing nothing quite that elaborate. Oh, damn. That seems to me like a Masami Obari conceit, but admittedly, it's not nearly as bloody as the Kenshin OEVs. This is a TV show, after all. There's still a good bit of blood, but let's face it, this is a show where sometimes your opponent might turn out to have mercury mixed in their blood. One of the things I really like about these fights is the detail put into them. In the second episode, they have this fight where the camera concentrates on the feet of the combatants involved. It's France, and they're people with swords, so they fence. And the fact that they choreographed out and animated the very rapid footwork of a fencing sword fight, which is by and large not something you ever see done in a fight scene, especially not in anime, especially manga, the majority of the time they generally just ignore matters of distance or timing of moves, and they just go with maybe speed lines. But they actually blocked that out, and that really illustrates to me how much work they did on that aspect. Yeah, 
that seems really cool and pretty unique. Yeah, yeah. According to Anime News Network, I didn't know this, but Studio Ghibli apparently helped out on the first couple episodes. And so I would say overall, it looks and it sounds great. The show's not perfect, of course. The main character, Dayon, is half really awesome, half kind of eh. And there's also a kid sidekick in the show. Appropriately enough, the kid sidekick is named Robin. He has potential to become a pretty shitty character over time, but... It's not as bad as the kids in Combat V, though, is it? No, not at all. Okay. He's a 12-year-old boy whose weapon is a gun. A handgun. (laughs) Oh, his special move, then, is he shoots people. It's not really a special move kind of show, but he does walk (laughs) around with a gun, which would go over really well here. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, some of the original characters, like Robin and such, are kind of tried-and-true anime tropes. You've got the... So far, useless girl who thankfully is barely in the show at all. The handsome, mysterious man. You got the old guy who's a total hard ass. And of course, the queen who carries around a human skull wherever she goes and dresses it up like a little girl with blonde curly hair and talks to it. Hey, you'd have your quirks too if you were married to Louis XV. That's awesome. <laughs> it is. The story goes, I learned this from the commentary track. She was 15 when she got married. Louis XV was 8. And then she ended up giving birth to 10 kids over the next 10 years. Think about that. Wait a second. She was 25 years old, and she had 10 kids by then. But but 8 years old? You can't impregnate a woman when you're 8 years old. Maybe it was multiple births over the course of a few years to make up for it, but she had 10 kids over 10 years by the time she was 25. So you got to cut this woman some slack. I would probably be carrying around a skull, too. They didn't exactly give them much of a break before making them pop out the next one. Not so. really. But, I mean, they had to wait at least four or five years for Louis to start shooting. Well, Louis the Fifteenth was notoriously insatiable in the bedroom. Maybe he matured fast. She apparently know. had to lock him out of her bedroom to keep him off her. And so then he started seeing some mistresses that are very yeah. famous that are also in this show. Of course, I've gone on long enough. There is, however, one potentially major and catastrophic and dire setback that this show has going for it. And that is the English dub. Because you see, the dub for Le Chevalier Down is done by a guy by the name of Stephen Foster. Yeah! Yeah! Awesome! If you didn't listen to Gerald's review... Of Cromartie High School, Stephen Foster is quite possibly the single crappiest ADR director working today. Dude, seriously, Stephen <laughs> Foster is like the Rob Liefeld of American anime companies. Why do they keep giving this guy work? Whenever I see this man's name on something, I positively cringe. The man usually gets assigned to wacky comedies, stuff like Colorful. Yeah, isn't that what he specializes Shin in? Chan, no, um, Milk Why Chan. Why would they give him this show? Colorful Cromartie High School, Super Milk Chan. Super Milk Chan, that's right. And he's going to be doing Sergeant Frog when that comes out. No! Carol Grimso. And Stephen Foster's <laughs> plan of attack so is that he thinks it's a great and brilliant idea to rewrite the dub script because his ideas are always far more brilliant than the Japanese ones and he can make it better. Gay jokes are so much more funny than anything in the Japanese version. Yeah, the end Especially result... Especially when they're done by a gay man. Yeah, yeah. So. The end result is always the dub jokes are basically all variants of calling people faggot. Actually, wait, didn't caliber. somebody say he was, like, married or something? I don't know. So is he gay? I think I he's don't... totally gay. I read an interview with him in, in a gay magazine about anime dubbing. 
Don't ask me why I was reading it. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong <laughs> Don't with that, think Jared. we need to. But you were asking, Clarissa, why would they give him this project? Maybe the powers that be saw, oh, this is a show about Dan and Beaumont. He lived this bizarre gender-bending life. Who's the closest match for that? Uh, it's not quite the same. It's Stephen Foster. Yeah, that's pretty close to adapt to the tale. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe, well, maybe the potential for Gainus Element might also explain why I got picked to do Sayuki. Admittedly, uh, the fans of Sayuki was, yeah. hated his work so much that ADB had to replace him with someone else for fear yeah. of righteous fangirl retribution. Oh, just imagine how much the backlash was that they replaced him so early. In Although the show. I actually heard it didn't get much better after that. He's done some other things that weren't wacky comedies, stuff like Orphan and, of course, Sin the Movie, both of which suck, by the way. I have heard from several people that the Orphan dub is the worst anime dub ever. The dub script is pretty much entirely different from the Japanese one on both of those, and in the case of Sin the Movie, they marketed that as a feature. Mike Toole did an awesome review of Orphan on Anime Jump, where he did How They Lied O'Vision, where he wrote out what was being said in the Japanese versus what was being said in the dub, and it was just so different, it wasn't mm. even funny. And as for why this guy still continues to get work, well, one of the most recent things he did was Ghost Stories, and that was one where the show originally sucked, so they said, ah, throw the script out, make it funny, Steve, do your thing. And apparently people liked it. I don't know. Mm. I guess he, like, sacrificed something and sold his soul to... To Chris Christopherson or something, yeah. Get the same deal Liefeld got. I we get know. a lot of emails, most all of which have been from one person asking us to review ghost stories. And so Gerald will be doing that someday. Oh, God. I've got one disc of it that I won <laughs> at a convention. So. Well, that's more than any of the rest of us have. So that's mm. why Stephen get Foster continues to be assigned to do projects. The only explanation I can give is that the people who love the Stephen Foster dubs must be the same type of people that made Epic Movie the number one movie in the country, thus guaranteeing that we will get even more of those stupid, oh, let's recite lines from other movies and call them jokes films. Wait, there's multiple types of movies like that. Not Kevin Smith movies. I meant like the whatever movie franchise. I also was not referring to Family Guy or Scream. Look, don't <laughs> compare Kevin Smith whatever. to the people who make... The scary movie franchise. My point being is that, as a rule, if Stephen Foster's name is on a dub, I refuse to watch it. Period. Because it takes some kind of bizarre skill to make Cromartie High School boring and unfunny, but he somehow managed to pull it off. Still, I figured I would give him a chance. I'm reviewing something on DVD, therefore it is my obligation to evaluate this dub, right? Well, I had to prepare myself. First off, I listened to the commentary track that he recorded, along with David Matranga, who is the dub actor for Dan, who's worked with Stephen Foster for pretty much almost everything he's ever done. He was Orphan. He was also Sanzo in Sayuki. So there's two commentary tracks on this disc. Each one's only one episode long, though. But unlike the commentary track about the historical notes, the commentary with Stephen Foster on it is totally fucking sucks and should be listened to by nobody, even though the anime on dvd review referred to this commentary track as quote fun how about no all right listen stephen foster spends the entire time of this commentary track bragging about how he's getting drunk in the sound booth and is sitting really close to another man because the dual booth is being used and then he goes on and on and on about how he really wants the babes of anime guy, like the IGN babes of anime thing that took the pictures of the ADV girls, he really wants that guy to get pictures of David Matranga in drag so he can use those pictures to promote the show. Oh, God. And then he. Well, this is anime on DVD. I don't think they actually listened to it. Maybe not. 
But he also continues on and talks about how he greatly prefers 14 to 15-year-old boys over women in their 30s. When it comes to voicing kids, what, he thought I was talking about something? Well, I don't know. But the worst part of the entire commentary track was when he just kept talking about all the things that he hates about awful anime dub directors. Irony alert! You know who else does that? Uva Bowl. Every single Uva Bowl commentary track. David Matranga was there, but I don't know what he really contributed. Not a whole lot. Nothing really worthwhile, I guess, because it was clear from that commentary track he's totally just an actor. Doesn't really seem to watch anime aside from the ones he's been in. It's not like you say Crispin Freeman. He's more like how most dub actors are. Right, they're just there to get a paycheck. Well, I wouldn't say he was quite that mercenary about it, but he did freely admit, you know, I haven't really seen that much anime before. So there's that. And on top of that, to add insult to injury, they stumbled over their words constantly. They were stuttering throughout the entire track. It's really a chore to listen to that commentary. Apparently, they had both worked 16 hours for two days in a row and were then suddenly told, hey, record a commentary track with no preparation whatsoever, and this is the result. Personally, I really, really, really hate it when companies try to present stuff like this as the bona fide extra. But thankfully, we do at least get a good commentary track, as well as separate written historical notes for the people who may not be inclined to look up those names even on Wikipedia or something. And as far as actual Japanese extras go, they did give us the original Japanese trailers as well. So after I'd hit myself with the commentary track, I decided it was not time to listen to the dub itself. And how do I put this? It's pretty good, actually. Yeah. For one, nobody speaks in bad French accents, thank God. Though they do pronounce the French terms far, far better than I've been doing. Still, according to the commentary track, the reason Stephen Foster gave for not using French accents was something like, Oh, if you've been bitching about that we don't use the accents, fuck you, it's Houston. And the Japanese didn't do it anyway. Which implies to me that if he could have done it, if he could have found people to do what he considers a French accent, that would probably be infuriating to actual French people, kind of like how it's infuriating to actual Southerners when they hear most actors try to do what they perceive as a Southern accent and what <laughs> I would perceive as a Southern accent. He would have done that, but he didn't. So thanks, Houston, I guess. Everybody's voice casting, acting-wise, they sound pretty decent. I kind of thought the kid sounded kind of crappy, Robin, possibly because they used an actual 15-year-old, but I don't know. I compared it to the subtitle script. The dub script did not have ridiculous liberties taken with it. Maybe it's because there's pretty much zero in the way of humor elements in this show for Stephen Foster to try and, quote, make better. France is a setting. It takes place in France, so it doesn't sound any more jarring really to hear all the characters speaking in English any more than it is to hear them all in Japanese. So I guess, yes, yeah, Stephen Foster, despite being totally weak sauce, managed to do a decent job on this one after the dub of Cromarty demonstrated his metamorphosis from totally crappy ADV dub director to pretty much the same as every other ADV dub director. So nothing memorable, nothing special. Well, just... no, I, I thought it was decent. I thought it was pretty good. I don't mind it. I would say most ADV dub directors do oh, yeah, totally most, unmemorable. Yeah, most totally ADV dub directors workmanlike. Nothing horrible about it, nothing fantastic. Stephen Foster, I guess the dub for Le Chevalier is pretty good. That still doesn't mean I'm looking forward to seeing his work on Sergeant Frog, though. 
So overall, since I've been talking too long about this, I kind of think this would probably be a good candidate for Adult Swim. The animation's really nice. There's a good story. It takes place in a Western European setting as opposed to a Japanese one that would require cultural knowledge of Japan. Unlike Gan Kutsuo, there seems to be action sequences in pretty much every episode, which thus far have been you know, somewhat bloody, but not stupendously so that they couldn't show it on TV. At the same time, though, historical fiction is a hard sell. And sure, people certainly liked Full Metal Alchemist, but... Histori- that wasn't that's not really, historical. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't really <laughs> something for which having knowledge of history would increase your appreciation of the show. It's not like it took place amidst actual historical backdrop. Yeah. And let's face it, people don't really know or care overall. If you knew the history of what was going on in the time, you would see, ah, this is what they're doing that deviates from that, or this is what they took an idea with and ran with. But most people are not aware of that knowledge, and so I'm really glad that AEV was aware of this, and they took the extra steps to put in notes for people to read about if they were so inclined. I guess the other good thing about this show that I think would make it good for TV, there's really nothing cute or moe-like about this show. There's not much in the way of fan service, and it also has zombies in it, which they call gargoyles, and they bleed mercury. So maybe if more people were to watch and buy shows like this here in America, maybe Japan would make more shows like Le Chevalier, fewer shows like Canon. So overall, I would say when this comes out on February 20th, do check it out. I hope this succeeds for ADV, but to roll the dice. Ow, my buccaneers! Please join me, Cancer, on the Upper Paddle Podcast. This weekly podcast features geek news, reviews, and rants in the subjects of anime, video games, and movies. I share conspiracy theories. The Smurfs are communists. Random facts. There are more bald eagles in the province of British Columbia, Canada, than there are in the entire United States of America. And Podcast Pete gives us the pirate perspective. Arr, this steering wheel be driving me nuts. So go to uppopaddle.com or search for Uppopaddle in the iTunes directory. Tens of listeners can't be wrong. Pick up a paddle. It will be glorious. place to actually try to review a show like a real reviewer and not actually see them beforehand. None of us really had any idea what we were getting into when we chose the DVDs that we did, or at least certainly I didn't. I had absolutely no idea what Utawareru Mono was about at all until I saw a rather attractive looking trailer on the anime network. This trailer is a very fine example of some of ADV's work in that it pretty much emphasized all the action in the show. In fact, if you go to the American website for Utawareru Mono, you can actually see this trailer for yourself. This trailer has a whole lot of samurai action and people cutting things up. Probably easiest to access that official website through just advfilms.com as opposed to spelling out the name. Right. This attracted me enough, so I thought I'd give the show a shot. I mean, when they sent us this big box of stuff from ADV, I just chose that as one of the shows. 
what could go wrong. I knew it at least had the things in the trailer. Actually, from the very moment that the show started, I kind of felt that there was going to be problems. In fact, even before, I felt that there might be some trouble. And actually, all of this started when Clarissa came to the weekly meeting, and she gave me this DVD. And the very first thing she said was, did you know that this was based on a porn game? Did you? No, I had no idea. And at this Gerald point, Gerald has the amazing ability to be on 4chan without somehow ever knowing what people are talking about constantly. Because <laughs> be doing that would actually require reading what people write on 4chan. And I don't know why you want to read what people write on 4chan. Because it's right by the bazillion of images from the show that they post. I don't go to 4chan very often. I don't follow what's going on on there. And I had no idea that this was a porn game. No idea at all. Like I said, the only exposure that I had to this was the trailer on the anime network. However, I'm going to try to do something revolutionary for the show. And I'm not going to dismiss it just because it's based on a porn game. Mainly because, I guess, porn games for Japanese otaku can be, like, dozens of hours long and only have, like, one or two sex scenes and still be considered good. There's a story that's on Gizmodo today about how Vista apparently handles hentai games really well since Windows Vista <laughs> just came out as the time of this recording. So that's, that's the reason for Japan to upgrade is because it handles the hentai games exceptionally. <laughs> That's probably the only reason to upgrade to Vista. <laughs> Handles nine different hentai games simultaneously, and you can toggle between them and control oh, the volume of each <laughs> independently. Unlimited fap works. Oh my god. Anyway, I'll just kind of take that fact to heart that it's from a porn game, and I'll take a look at the show as Too it is. Too hard, get it? <laughs> <laughs> Good one. This was almost all thrown out the window as soon as the opening scene started. The opening scene starts with what would seem to me like one of the most cliched openings to a porn game that I can think of. A mysterious stranger wakes up, and who is in front of him but a cute-looking girl? I think where you know where this review is going. Utaware, as it will be hereon be referred to, is based on what is called a visual novel game. And it's released by a company called Leaf. Leaf is a studio underneath this publisher called Aquaplus. And Aquaplus is a very well-known studio in Japan. They do, like, Bishoujo, and they do Yoi games, and do all this stuff. And Leaf is very well-known to Japanese anime fans, because they release yeah. Two Heart, and they release yeah. Comic Party. Leaf and Key are, what, the biggest publishers yeah. for that stuff, aren't they? I've heard of Leaf, I've heard of Key, and I've heard of Elf. It was originally released as a game in 2002, and was turned into a 26-episode TV series in about April of 2006. The show itself is set in this rather primitive world where people live in these very small villages and they ride these strange-looking upright two-legged lizards named Wapters, and everyone seems to have fox ears and tails. I don't fucking know why, except the main character. But everyone because else is... it's Moe! Even the men, even the old men have got fox ears and tails. I don't know. Maybe the otaku got tired of being moe over little boys like Bridget and Larsa, so now they're moving on to old men. Or maybe this is like Loveless. Oh. What? <laughs> Ear-mounted hymens. Hmm. <laughs> One day, this stranger appears in town, and this guy is wearing a white mask that cannot be removed for some reason. Dun-dun-dun! He's nursed back to health in this house by this very subservient, cute, cute pair of sisters, whose only job throughout the entire show is to compliment him constantly. And their names are... Oh, God. Their names are Elulu and Aruru. God damn it. He can't remember anything about himself 
or his name, so he is given the name Hakuro by these sisters' grandmother, which happens to also be the name of their dead father. So then these girls can call him father all the time, which is a giant step because usually they'd be calling him big brother or some shit. It's not a sex thing. Exactly. Promise. <laughs> Hakuro. I will never pronounce his name. I'll never pronounce his name. I'll go with that. He happens to be quite good with the sword. I don't actually remember if that was what it was, but. Yeah, whatever. This happens to be very convenient that he's good with the sword because the village he's in happens to be tormented by, among other things, this evil lord, Sasante, who is the ruler of this country where the village is located. And this guy imposes all these nasty taxes on everyone and generally makes life difficult. This sort of sounds like a generic Japanese RPG plot. Oh, it feels so much like it. Anyway, it, it, the main character makes it his job to uh, do something about this guy and to be complimented by all the women in the village constantly. Of course. Oh. Not at all Look. a generic main character that you can swap yourself out. Yeah. Hold on, I'm going to get to that. You have to vicariously feed the poor otaku's <laughs> ego. Yeah. I'll admit that the setting of the show is nothing special, but it's kind of interesting. It's very much in line with, you know, a Japanese RPG. It's its own world. It's got its own creatures. It's got kind of its own sort of annoyances with the language. But it's incredibly annoying that everyone has these stupid fox ears. doesn't make any sense to me. The main character doesn't have this, and he acknowledges them. It's the fetish gimmick. That's it. Because it comes from the world of anime porn, and the fact that, you know, all these girls also have these saucer-sized eyeballs just makes it all the more stranger. And this is kind of the main problem with this show in general. Characterization. Clarissa knows a lot more about fan fiction than Daryl or I do. And <laughs> you were telling me about these character types in really bad fan fiction. They were called Mary Sues. And these are characters that are basically the writer inserting themselves into their own work. Actually, the Wikipedia article goes on to a lot of other stuff about it, but the idea is yeah. that this is sort of a self-insertion thing. Yeah, was and coined back in Star Trek fandom. Apparently, it's been going on for 150 years, but yeah. That's a lot of Star Trek back in no, 150 no. years ago. <laughs> yeah, the concept I mean, has been done before. It's just the term oh. is used in fan fiction. And, you know, basically, <laughs> that's what the main character feels like. I mean, he's a character that has practically no flaws. He's got amnesia, so he's a blank slate for all the guys to imprint themselves upon. Everyone likes him. Everyone compliments him constantly, and he's dark, brooding, and charming. What I watched in the first five episodes, that kind of seems to be the depth of him. This is troubling, since I was saying that this is actually, you know, coming from porn. And lame as it is, I can kind of see this character working in a porn game. Because you play from the perspective of the character, and nothing happens without the player actually doing something. I mean, it's incredibly lame, but I can kind of see why it's there. Do you really need a whole lot of characterization in a porn game main character when your choices are like turn left or turn right or whatever yeah. is really important? <laughs> yeah, this allows the loser otaku to kind of imprint themselves on this character. And I mean, it's nothing unique. I mean, we've got games like Elder Scrolls Oblivion here, which the main character has no characterization or anything. But you basically. do at least get to custom make that character. Well, I mean, that's because Oblivion is a role-playing game in the more Western sense of the concept. Yeah, that, that sort Japanese of thing is not... RPG. Yeah, it's not really something that the Japanese do. They don't really create their own characters from that point. But the problem is, is that when you put 
this idea into practice in anime, where, you know, the character, you know, moves on his own, it just fails, and the main character has no personality, and there's no reason to like him at all. The thing is that there just seems to be nothing to really say about this show. I mean, there seems to be a little bit of potential in the show for some sort of political thing that's going on between the Lord Sasante and the main character, but it's only really hinted at in the first couple of episodes. The positive thing that I've got to say about it is that the animation is kind of nice, when there is action in it. By the way, the trailer that you see, that trailer is largely the opening and about 10 seconds of footage from episode 5. Nothing else <laughs> like that in the show. So wait, that is to say you actually got five episodes on the first disc of this, or what? Yes, oh, I got man. five episodes on the disc. The opening and ending themes are actually pretty good. It just doesn't seem to be striving for anything memorable. Do you As think it might be a show that just takes a little bit to pick up? How many episodes long is it? 26 episodes, and I only watched okay. the first five. I learned my lesson in reviewing parts of series. and With Combatler? I mean, kind of, oh, no, not with Combatler. No, no but we with... were still that whole show. Right. In shows like Angel Heart. Angel Heart, I that's kind right. Of learned that lesson. Yeah. And that that show just tanked right after the episode that I reviewed. I'm reading about people talking about this show and they said, oh, it might have faltered towards the end. There were still things they liked. But these are people who said they loved canon. Oh, well, there we go. What I want to know is how does something for people who like canon falter toward the end? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they kill off some female characters or something? Shuffle style. But the thing is that this is not a show that even though it's based on a porn game, it's not actively bad like Moon Phase was to me. I mean, Moon Phase was just awful. This is a show that just leaves no impression on me. If I'd actually spent the money on this DVD, I would have no reason to go and pick up the next DVD. Hmm. There's just there's nothing to this show that makes me really want to watch any more of it. That's really all there is to say about it. It's like, I thought that I would have some more to say, but I don't know. It just feels like that there's nothing more to go on with this show. It, was this yeah. show popular? I mean... It know? was very popular among the internet fandom. Yeah. Like I said, 4chan, nobody shut up about that show on 4chan for quite a while. And I don't know if that'll translate into sales. <laughs> well, I mean, usually it doesn't uh, for shows right. like this. But I definitely hear a lot of people talking about it. Oh, I found someone else writing about it. They said it was a nice, violent fantasy tale with a good story so far. Someday we'll be able to finish it. Damn you, ADV, for licensing. Hey, hey, hey. Violent? Okay, let me tell you something. The footage that I saw that made me actually want to see this is literally total 45 seconds. This is not violent. Don't get that impression. I know. When I think of violent, my standard for violent is a little different than perhaps the standards. It has to at least of... incorporate some sort of surgery <laughs> now for Daryl to consider it violent. Bruno unzipping himself with uh, sticky fingers. And <laughs> uh, this is one of these things where I hate reviewing shows like this because it's a show that leaves me with no real passionate feelings for or against it. It's not a show that I would ever bother to buy, but it's not a show that's worth expending the energy to hate on a whole lot. I really never had much interest in it from listening to the internet discussion. Really, the only reason I ever contemplated watching it is all because there's apparently, like some amount of gayness that happens later on, but I think it's mostly off-screen, and I don't believe it's very significant, so I've been willing to suffer through the entire show for the sake of it. It seems to be one of those shows kind of like some of the Ken Akamatsu things or, like, other porn game-based stuff or whatever, which is that, yeah, a lot of people talk about it and really like it, but when it comes down to what they talk about about the show... All they really talk about is that the girls are hot. 
You know where I've seen this show be mentioned? Somebody once posted they wanted recommendations for shows with flashy, well-animated martial arts. And so people were saying, oh, Samurai Shampoo, Cowboy Bebop, Advent Children, that sort of thing. And this show kept getting mentioned, like, oh, amazing fights, and, and not even as a joke. Maybe that's just past <sighs> the first five episodes. Maybe. This is what they wrote. Apparently it has some seriously goddamn fantastic sword fighting in some of the later parts, despite bad animation for the rest. Hmm. Now, I will admit that those 15 seconds or 30 seconds of time in episode five were really well animated, which is why they use them in the trailer. They look really awesome, but... It's not worth spending $30 for... Also, I would like to say that the cover to this DVD is hideous, and it made my eyes bleed. What is it of? It's not really the picture for the cover. It's mostly just the mask and then, like, the title. The problem is the background is this god-awful, like, holographic, shimmery, greenish Did you ever buy a first issue of a comic book released in the 90s? Yes. Well, yes. well, those are gotta be exactly worth like five thousand dollars now, right? Yeah, those. Every, one or... every first comic book released in the '90s looks like this cover. Gold foil alternate version. Yes, yes, yes. All the holographic stuff. That's oh, exactly God. what the cover looks like. Yeah, you're now, right. You're right. Onto the uh, actual DVD release itself. I've got nothing to complain about here. The show itself is widescreen anamorphic. A plus on anime and DVD right there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, there might have been some, you know... Edge enhancement. <laughs> that I didn't see on my set. There is an extra, there's like a little omake thing, which is kind of cute but forgettable, involving people trying to take a shit. Um, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Other than that, I mean, the extras are basically a glossary of terms for the show. How much terminology is there in the show? Is it maybe 12 Kingdoms level? Because I don't remember if Media Blasters included one for that. And it probably could have used one. Oh, there were about uh, four or five pages of terms. Was this the show that they had that mild manufactured controversy about how, oh, they're going to change the name? Yep, it was originally going to be renamed with Shadow Warrior Chronicles. Well, it got it mentioned a lot on news sites and that sort of thing. Yeah. You think that was just a way to get that name out because it's such a weird name and maybe, maybe the 4chan people knew tons and tons about it already, but other people didn't. So they said, hmm. huh, how can we get the anime fans on the internet to all know this name? Quite possibly, because I don't, be. I don't like this name, Utawadurumono. Does that translate to anything? It translates to The One Being Sung. Now, I'm not saying that they should have called the show The One Being Sung. It's actually being released in America as Utawadurumono, Mask of a Stranger. Oh, okay, that's the full title of the show, or is Mask of a Stranger like how... Remember back in the 90s? Yeah, I was about to say, when... is that the title for the first disc or the whole... No the idea. Yeah, I remember back in the 90s, the brick-and-mortar stores, they wouldn't want to carry things past volume three because they said, oh, after that volume, sales will drop. So they started just subtitling subsequent volumes with names and you eventually could hardly ever tell, well, which one's disc four? Which one's disc five? Rama mm. and half fans know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I remember Answer Man in one of his columns, he was saying, back when they did this... Every single release, no matter what, Volume 3 was called Third Strike. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is at least numbered, so... Hmm. Maybe this is one of those shows that really only picks up later. It might very well be that it's not fair to me to review a show based upon five episodes. Well, five episodes out of 26 is uh, about 20% of the show, right? It also comes down to that people are going to be buying the show, and if there's no reason to pick up a second disc based upon what right. you see on the first, then how can I recommend the show? I can't. 
I wouldn't buy the show beyond the first disc. So, I don't know. I think that ADV had a pretty good commercial for it. <laughs> I mean, watch that commercial. That commercial has every good thing that this show has. I do admit that I'm incredibly infuriated at the new mantra that trailers are their own form of art now and aren't really supposed to represent the film that you're going to see. <laughs> it's infuriating because they give awards just for trailers now, as we said in the last episode. Yeah. An episode and or so, two ago. And so I just think that the point of trailers is to give you an idea of what the movie that you're right, about to pay right. money to see is going to be like. And if you have this misleading trailer that makes your anime seem like one thing, but is actually another, like when you reviewed Moon Phase, we talked about the Funimation trailer, how it made it seem like it was Helsing. Yeah. And all of that was in the first two episodes that they showed. Once again. I can understand selecting, like, the best clips because you want people to buy it. And you want yeah, to you want to put your best foot forward. But, but you're selling a TV you series. It, but if you make it look like a different show, then I would think that the demographic that's going to be interested in the kind of content you're showing is probably going to be disappointed that the show's not what you said it was. I'm and disappointed. And you're going to miss the demographic that would be interested in the kind of show that it is. And the problem is, is that the show just isn't interesting when the guy is sitting around and the girls are complimenting him all the time. Do you suppose maybe they're thinking that, oh, the people who know what the show is already know what this show is? And we just want to get people who have no idea what the show is to say, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll check that out. And their plan of attack is <laughs> sell the first disc totally and sell the others after that. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I think that sounds see... to me like a good way to burn goodwill <laughs> yeah. among fans. Yeah. Because okay. yeah. eventually people get sick and tired of being burned by it. I don't know. I guess people who've watched more of this show or all of this show, is it really different after these first five episodes? Yeah, I'd like to know too. I mean, I've got no desire to watch the show beyond what I've seen, unless it takes like a really sharp turn. I don't know of any shows that I can think of where the first five episodes were just total boring, no, don't want to watch anything, don't want to watch this at all, and then it just takes a big shift. Can you guys think of it? I can think of shows that were totally different in the first X many episodes that became totally different afterwards. I'm not necessarily going to suggest it was boring the first several episodes. I can think of ones like that, too. Right. right. Like, right. Trigon's a great Trigon, example. Yeah. Of the first 13 episodes or so are goofy, and then the remaining yeah. 13 are serious drama. Right. Yeah, I can think of a lot of shows like that as well. At the same time, there are a lot of shows, especially shows made by Sunrise, where the first 13 or so episodes of their 52-episode show are just are kind of forgettable. Kind of forgettable. Yeah. And are just there to, well, like, this is and setting. Or... Well, any of their Sunrise shows, yeah. basically. All those mecha series, pretty yeah. much. The first 13 are just purely for establishing characters and yeah. setting, and then their story actually begins. Gal Gygar was kind of like that. Right. I mean, Gal Gygar's rough, this, because Gal Gygar the first half of the show. I those first episodes are bad, but they're not anything spectacular. Yeah, either. I like the first half of Gal Gygar, but it's totally regular giant robots. Yeah. And so this might be regular, regular fantasy Moe stuff for the first, of... however, and then sword fights later on. I don't know. It might be. Maybe at episode 13 it turns into, you know, some, some awesome sword fighting show. Perhaps the, the best question is for judging it as a moe show is exactly how retarded are the girls like not able to tie their own shoes in the morning retarded but, but Clarissa, there's a, or... there's a reason for that there's a story reason <laughs> i don't know if i can answer that question because none of the girls are allowed to do anything in the show oh uh, so it's the ultimate to... moe show <laughs> Wind, legs broken, bell and head, truly. 
the most that they're allowed to do is basically say, oh, you're so mysterious. Oh, you're so cool. And that's how everyone treats the main guy. So Yeah, that sounds like a, a Mary Sue type, Gary Sue character. Does he have, like, sparkling violet eyes that they, they focus on all the time and never well, let forget? Well, the thing is, his mask covers everything but his eyes. So oh. that's the only thing you can see about him. So I guess, yes. Ah. I guess I'll put it down like this. If you are a fan of these sorts of shows, you probably aren't listening to this show. <laughs> That's um, true. And if you are, nothing we say would change your mind anyway. Exactly. That's also true. So, I can't recommend this for anyone else. If you know what the show is getting onto, if you like the girls, if you like girls that do nothing but compliment the main character, this you is really? your show. Uh, we're not going to change your opinions on the show if you know what the show is about. And if you've seen more of the show, and if there's something worthwhile in the show beyond the five episodes that we got to preview, tell us about it. up with from the stuff that ADV sent us is the first disc of another series that's coming out called Nerima Daikon Brothers. Well, the full title is actually Oroshitate Musical Nerima Daikon Brothers, which is translated as the freshly graded musical Nerima Daikon Brothers. It's directed by a guy who uh, will probably be familiar to a lot of people, Watanabe Shinichi, or Nabe Shin, the guy who did Excel Saga and Puni Puni Poemi. Gravitation. <laughs> I Shield 21. Well, he directed a few episodes of that. Those of you who've seen any of those other series probably have a pretty good idea of what to expect from this show, as it's not really anything all that different from the other stuff that he's done before. It's a 12-episode series from 2006. It is, of course, a comedy. It's actually, as you can probably tell from the title, a musical, which is heavily inspired and patterned after, in a lot of ways, the American movie The Blues Brothers. It's about three people who live in Nerima and have a small daikon farm. And the daikon is a variety of radish. It's kind of white and long, and you've probably seen it in other shows. or Often used as a tasteful substitute for the penis. Exactly. Yes. Very yes. much so in this show. Yes. And anyway, they have a daikon farm, and as they say in the show, they formed a band and pointlessly built a stage in a daikon field. Because they want to make enough money to eventually build a huge concert dome so they can give concerts and everyone will come to see them and everyone will have a rockin' good time and it'll be wonderful. And it's fairly much in line with the other comedy series that Navishin's done. It's fast-paced comedy, kind of zany situations going on. There are even a few similar jokes to some of the other Navishin shows. Of course, the director Navishin makes an appearance as his typical Afro character. 
I'm sure you've seen him if you ever watched Excel Saga. He has a, a guest spot in this show as well. He uh, lends things that the characters might need for their current predicament. There is a cute furry mascot. In this case, a small uh, squishy panda. Similar to the cute furry mascot Menchi from Excel Saga, the girl of the show wants to eat said panda for no apparent reason. I guess just apparently she thinks he looks really yummy. Another thing that's very similar to some of the other series that Navishin did, like Excel Saga and Puni Puni Poemi, is most of the jokes are kind of in-jokes. They're parody jokes. In Excel Saga, it was a lot of anime and manga and movie parodies. Nerima Daikon Brothers has some of that, like I mentioned the references to the Blues Brothers, and they do have other references to certain things like commercials by some Japanese companies and other pop culture phenomenon. But a lot of the jokes are also sort of general cultural jokes. I have a question about that, actually, yeah. since I was just screaming about epic movie and those <laughs> shitty movies where the jokes are just that they recite lines from another movie. I think the reason I'm so mad at them is because a proper spoof is such that even if the person watching it has no idea what's being referenced to, the joke is still funny. Right. And those movies are the opposite of that. Right. How are the jokes in Nary Madaikon Brothers? Say if you don't know about that Japanese commercial, mm-hmm. is it still a funny joke? Um... I think maybe, but it depends on the kind of humor you like, because I think that if you don't know what they're referencing, it probably comes across as sort of a ridiculous non-sequitur. So it might still be funny from the point of view of, oh my god, what the hell are they doing? Or that's so completely random. An example of a spoof I liked was, say, some of the earlier Mel Brooks films, and I guess Mm. Robin Hood Men in Tights isn't really an earlier Mel Brooks film, considering how long he's been making movies, but maybe Young Frankenstein or something has things in that it's a reference to something, but if you don't know, like, I guess use Robin Hood again, unlike other Robin Hoods, I can speak with an English English accent, accent. is a slam on Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. If you don't know that, that's still a funny line. I think they can work... From the point of view of, it probably seems kind of random. If you're not a fan of wacky random humor, then you probably wouldn't find it funny if you don't get the reference. But I think for at least some audience members, it probably will still be funny. But yeah, there's a lot of more general pop culture jokes and whatnot. Just kind of puns and references. Another thing that I can compare to another series is that I don't know how many people have seen these. There was a spinoff that he did of Excel Saga called Puni Puni Poemi. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Infamous for its amazing fight scene <laughs> between Navishin and... Yes. Yes, indeed. This show sort of reminded me of Puni Puni Poemi in the amount of jokes and gags based around fan service. Poemi had a lot of fan service and hentai parodies and gags, and Nerima Daikon Brothers has a lot of that too. Like, there's a lot of kind of dirty humor. Some of it is just sort of straight up, haha, that's supposed to be a penis. But some of it is also, I think, sort of a parody of fan service y situations in general. And yeah, I think altogether, it's very much that sort of hyperactive, wacky, knobbishin style of comedy. I know some people really don't like that, some people really do. And I think most of this show, whether you're going to like it or not, is probably going to depend on whether you happen to like his style of comedy. I would agree with that. I actually saw an episode of this, and I'm not a fan of his style of humor. Did you watch it dubbed or subbed? 
I watched it dubbed. Okay. Um, I did like Puni Puni Poemi. I mm-hmm. didn't like Excel Saga at all for one second. I think the thing for me is just I can watch it in small doses. Puni Puni Poemi is short. Right. I don't know if I could watch six hours worth of it mm-hmm. for Excel Saga, which is a show I like. I can watch maybe an episode or two well, at a time. Well, I didn't like any of Excel Saga. I'm interested that you liked Poemi, but not Excel Saga. And that you generally dislike this guy, but you do like Akitaro Daiichi's humor, which is almost the same. What's the difference? Can you nail it down? It's hard for me to nail that down. Um, I think that Puni Puni Poemi might have been... You know, I, I don't really want to say something, because I know that as soon as I say it, you're going to say, well, you know, that. Uh, but it felt like Excel Saga was not consistent to me. Excel Saga tried to have honest-to-goodness drama in it. And it failed. I think that the humor in Excel Saga felt very much like we'll throw anything and everything at you and see what sticks. Did Narima do that? Did you get the feeling for that too, Clarissa, or not so much? I don't know if it's quite as spastic as Excel Saga. I don't know if it does that as much. Yeah. This is what I heard about Narima Daikon Brothers... I heard that it was a lot of singing. Yes. yes. Well, I did mention that it is a musical. Right, so... and that seems to be a differentiating factor from the other shows that Nabishin right. did. That is the biggest difference, is that it is a musical, and so people do break out into song all the time. There's tons of musical numbers. Perhaps that may make a difference for some people in whether they like it or not, depending on whether they've liked the other stuff. Now, Clarissa, do you like musicals as a general rule? I do. Okay. I'm a heterosexual, so I don't. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, since I don't like his work in general, I don't know if I'm one to say, but I know that there have been other people out there who have said, well, if you don't like musicals, then there's a good chance that you wouldn't like this show. Right. I can imagine if you're really against musicals, then you probably wouldn't dig the fact that people are breaking out in a song all the time, even if it is kind of a parody. It's still singing. (laughs) Yeah, there's still people singing all the time for no reason whatsoever. A bunch of saunas. From the impression that I got, which was a relatively small impression, it seems like there, and you mentioned this already, but it seems like there's an enormous amount of penis jokes in this show. Like, in the five, was it four or five episodes that were on the disc? Four. Four episodes? Okay, so it's only four episodes. I was just wondering if it ever got old, or if they were just, you know, there was just an exaggerated amount in what I watched. Well, I think it would depend on which episode you saw. I'm pretty sure I just saw the first. Okay, the first does have um, more of specifically penis jokes than the other episodes. There's a lot of fan service jokes, but one is especially heavy on penis jokes. They're not all quite so focused on that particular joke. Okay, because I was thinking, you know, if the entire 13 episodes is just, you know, penis stroke after penis stroke. Right. I think it's actually 12 episodes. Is it 12? Okay, well. Yeah. Yeah, they end up parodying kind of different fan service situations or characters. For example, I mentioned that there's three major characters. There's two guys and one girl. The lead guy, Hideki, is sort of your average guy. Not too amazingly good-looking, not too ugly. And then there's another guy named Ichiro. He works as a host, and he's sort of a parody of the kind of, I guess, moe guy character. He's really quiet, he's a little spacey, he's pretty, and he gets into these situations, of course, because of his working at the host club or whatever, where he gets sometimes sexually harassed or whatever. And then, of course, the girl, Mako, is your cute girl heroine. A lot of times when she breaks out into song, if it's just her, several of her songs 
songs, if I remember correctly. The music is, if not actually the same, then very, very close to the Cutie Honey opening. Mm-hmm. There's an episode with a hospital that's full of cute nurses, and there's an episode with your sexy female police officer. So there's a lot of other like fan service characters and, and situations that get parodied. So it's not all penis jokes, but it is a lot of kind of sexual humor. The DVD for the subtitle track is pretty standard. In order to explain a lot of the references, like if there's stuff that you don't get, there is a booklet where they explain some of the references, but the ones that are in the booklet are mainly the ones that would take a somewhat long explanation. The rest of the references, there's a feature in the extras called AD Vidnoots that you can turn on. And if you ever watched this show called Pop-Up Video, it was on VH1 and they would play music videos. And during the course of the video, they would pop up these little boxes or bubbles with facts in them about different things about the video, about the yeah, that became kind of a, the video. That became kind of a cultural phenomenon for like yeah, a year. Yeah, it did. And the AD vid notes are sort of like pop-up video. They did the same thing for Excel Saga yeah, originally. Exactly. Yeah, where if you turn the vid notes on, if you just watch it subtitled, the translation notes are not in the subtitles. You have to like, go into the extras and turn these on. And what you get is you get these little panda pop-up windows that will explain the different references. It's actually a subtitle track, yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, it actually is. Because yeah. subtitles are just picture files, and you can put anything you want in right. there. As long as it's less than three or four colors, I think. The... Something like right. that. I think it's four colors, one but one of the four colors has to be the chroma. Yeah. So you can probably cycle through it with the subtitle, but just that it won't be included with the regular subtitle track. And it also won't be included if they do a thin pack compilation, because when they did the Excel Saga thin pack, they took out that really good liner oh, note did they? feature of it. I believe oh, so. Did they really? If they did, that's uber shitty. I that's, think that so. That is totally shitty. ADV, shame on I'm you. I'm 80% on that's that. That's terrible. But fortunately, the full XL Saga DVD set was pretty cheap for a while. I don't know if you can find it anymore, though. Yeah. As for the dub, I will admit that I only watched the first episode dub. That's the only episode I really got to. And I'm a little bit torn on it. The ADR director is Chris Ayers. I guess that's how you pronounce his name. Mm -hmm. A-Y-R-E-S. Yes. I know Greg pronounces his last name Eris. Eris? Greg Eris. Okay. I don't know if Chris Eris is related to him. I'm not sure. Not, but... Greg Eris is in this, actually. And the main characters are played by Chris Patton, Greg Eris, and Lucy Christian. And there's some other people in there. Uh, Brett Weaver is in the show. I believe he plays Navishin again. I know Monica Rial is in there somewhere. Doesn't it go without saying that Monica, that Monica yeah. Rial is in there? Pretty much. <laughs> From the episode that I watched, it actually seemed like, for the most part, the dub was pretty good. I was kind of cringing in anticipation because there's so much singing in the show, but I think they did a pretty good job. I mean, I don't know if it's the best singing in the world, but to be honest, the Japanese singing isn't really all that great either. It's pretty much on par with the singing level of the Japanese voice actors. And for the most part, I found the performances to be fairly good. However, I'm not quite so sure how I feel about the script. It was a little loose. Now, it's not a situation where they went back and totally rewrote everything. 
So it's not completely unfaithful. It's not a Stephen Foster job. But there are some areas where the songs were rewritten in a way that did somewhat change the meaning. Maybe they had to do it in order to match the lip flaps in those situations. I don't really know. There were a couple throwaway Japanese reference jokes that they took out it wasn't like completely Americanized in the sense that like they tried to pretend it wasn't in Japan or anything, but I'm a little concerned because as I mentioned, a lot of the in-jokes in here are not just in-jokes to say situations or characters that come up in anime or manga, but there is a lot of jokes about Japanese pop cultural things. In fact, the third episode which I unfortunately didn't get to dubbed because that would have been the real test. The third episode is all about the Korean wave pachinko parlor. The entire premise of this episode is a sort of multi-layered pop culture joke about various things going on in Japan. Several things about pachinko, the concept of the Korean wave, all of this stuff is involved, and I'm not really sure how well that's going to translate over into the dub. I know that they did some things like the girl, Mako, has one of those sort of Kansai men dialect, and of course they replaced it with a semi-annoying southern accent. They rewrote a couple of her lines to say something like, oh, I'm going back to the South, or she talks about, like, Southern comfort food or something. I want to mention, I guess, another issue in the dub. This was another part that I had an issue with the scripting. Another reason that I'm worried is that this actually wasn't really about a cultural reference. It's still not a Stephen Foster hack job, but I'm a little worried about some of the comedy. And Gerald, this might have something to do with some of your reactions to this first episode, because it was in the first episode. There's a scene that you probably remember where Ichiro is in the host club, and he's getting basically molested by this guy who works at this, who's uh, like higher up at this record company. Mm-hmm. They make the kind of tried and true sausage penis joke of that you see there's a hot dog or a sausage like on a plate and it cuts back and forth to like Ichiro's face as he's getting like molested by this guy and then there's like you know the the sausage on the plate and it's fairly blatant but in the dialogue in the original Japanese the guy's talking as he's molesting Ichiro and his dialogue at first is pretty standard like at first he's just talking about the fact that like oh we're holding auditions and I don't you have a band and we Wouldn't you love to get a chance at being signed by a record label so you'll come in and audition? And then eventually he basically just kind of says like, is it fine? Or like, how is it? Is it good? And that's pretty much all he says. The sausage reference is really all in the imagery. However, in the dub, they rewrote some of this dialogue where instead of the guy being like, oh, how is it? Or is it fine? All of a sudden, the guy is like, I love hot dogs. And he keeps going on about how much he likes hot dogs, as if we couldn't already get the joke. Yes, guys, haha, hot dog Mm -hmm. equals penis. Mm Mm-hmm. I really hated that rewrite because the thing is, the visual gag of seeing the hot dog is already blatant enough. It gets the point across and it's very noticeable and in your face. The joke doesn't need to go any farther. I think it pushes close enough to being over the top and some people might even argue it's already over the top in the Japanese. I think taking the English dialogue and rewriting it to add in this spiel about how much the guy loves hot dogs just pushes it too far. 
by repeating it in the dialogue, I think it just makes it not at all funny anymore. That was my general impression of the humor of the show. I mean, like, almost I would say, like, his humor style. Although, like you said, that style, his humor is blatant enough. And that's I mean, why he's... I'm wondering, because you mentioned you watched the episode dubbed, and so there are definitely instances in the dub where they pushed that even farther, or they rewrote things, so... Mm-hmm. I'm a little worried about some of the looseness in the script. I mean, it's and not as a... terrible, it's not a total hack job, but... And as a I... southerner yourself, how well did they pull <laughs> off that southern accent? Um, uh, I don't know. It's not the worst I've heard, but it was kind of annoying. Okay. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I'm, I'm a little concerned. It's a little bit of a weird situation with this dub, because I'm fairly much behind the performances, with the exception of maybe the accent. I'm pretty much fine with the performances. It's just I have some reservations about the script. A lot of the uh, streamlined type stuff. Then, yeah, I would almost. suggest watching it subtitled, but the dub is not terrible, and I have no issue really with the voice actors performances or the ADR directing. Now I have something that I wanted to ask you. Sure. Um, This is a show that got a lot of press. ADB was pushing the show really 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 hard and uh, I think that they kind of premiered the show at uh, Anime Expo last year and people were going on saying that you know this show makes Puni Puni Poemi look you know really slow and, and from my impression that I got was that it's just like every other show that he does. Um, would you say that this is like more hyperactive than any other show that he's done, or do you think that you know? No, makes- actually, I would say that Putting Putting Poemi especially was more hyperactive than this one. Hmm. Yeah, it's just that every time I see another person talk about you know a wacky comedy, it's always oh, it makes Putting Putting Poemi look like you know Quaalude yeah. material. Oh, it looks yeah. And- it really annoys me when that happens, because right. it, it's, it's not... What'd you think? I thought that the episodes were enjoyable. I'm not going to say it's like the funniest thing I've ever seen, but it was an entertaining watch. I don't know, $30? I'm not sure. It's four well, episodes. Well, I don't pay $30 is, for anything. Yeah, I, I don't really buy single discs for 30 bucks, for those, except for in those rare Many, many, rare many, 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 many people that buy stuff at Best Buy. Yeah. I guess if you really like Dobbishin's stuff in general, then it probably will be worth it for you. If you hate it, obviously you're probably not going to want to buy it at all. Mm-hmm. If you're only okay, maybe. I'd look online to see if I can find it a little cheaper. It is a fairly nice release. Four episodes is a pretty standard episode count, and there's some decent extras. There is, like I said, the pop-up video-style notes. There's like a sing-along feature that they added, because of course it's a musical and there's so many songs. There's two commentary tracks. There's one commentary track with Nabishin and somebody, uh, Haruka, who I believe is a technician. And there is a commentary track with Nabishin and the Japanese voice actor for Hideki. So that's kind of interesting, and I think that that's a, a good extra. It's not that often that we get commentary tracks with the original Japanese folks. We seem to be getting it more often now, which is nice. So that's a pretty good extra, especially if you're a fan of Navishin's work. You get to hear him on the commentary track talking about this show. The biggest worry that I have is that it is only 12 episodes. It's not like 26 or anything. But I'm not quite sure if it's going to hold up for 12 episodes. I was fine watching the four episodes on the disc. It was funny. The songs are silly and catchy. But I don't know if it's going to hold up for 12 episodes or not. 
but you liked Excel Saga, didn't you? I did. I'm not going to say that it was all like amazing, but I enjoyed it. It did have I, Pedro the movie. It did. It had the one episode that was entirely Fist of the North Star. <laughs> had yes. way too much fucking Nobishin. I like oh, Nobishin, especially awesome. at the end. No, it's... it's <laughs> where he has his wedding and he gets into uh, the Dragon Ball Z fight with that guy. <laughs> Pretty fucking good. I don't know. Anyway. Why do you not like Nobishin? No, it's like, I, I like, I don't mind the gag that, you know, the director put himself into the show, but when I realize that it's not like he's just... It's a major character. Yeah, that's the thing, is that it's not like it's just a little part of the show. It's like he's made himself a major character in the show, and I just didn't find that, it just didn't click with me. You thought it was an example of Ubris run amok? So did you only hate it because it was the director and not having anything to do with the character himself, or did no, you just, the, the just character, not like no, the, the character? No, the character didn't really click with me either. It was like this entire show that the entire show never clicked with me. Hmm. So I personally think some of the best jokes involve Navishin encountering, like, yeah, Maytel. Yeah, like the or, space butler. Navishin and the space butler. S- fucking space butler. Space butler is amazing. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah. Um yeah, I liked Excel Side, I liked Puny Puny Poemi, I do like Gravitation. So I was fine with it. I don't know if it's gonna hold up for twelve episodes or not. Because it is such heavy fan servicey humor and kind of sex humor, I think Puny Puny Poemi had a lot of that, but that was short. I don't know if that's gonna work for twelve episodes, if that does continue to be where a lot of the humor is. But for now, I'm gonna fairly much recommend it if you tend to be cool with Nobishin's shows in general. I would say that's a good that's a good way to go at it. Yeah. I didn't like it, but then again, I don't like any of his work. Yeah. When the world is reduced to a radioactive cinder floating in the frozen heart of space, and mankind has long since ceased to be, I take comfort in the fact that if the alien anthropologists excavate the remains of our shattered civilization, they will no doubt be able to learn everything they needed to know about human beings from a single, solitary movie. Which movie? Weekend at Bernie's 2. www.fearthegooberzilla.com The greatest movie ever podcast. Yes, that's right. If you haven't gotten enough of hearing my wonderful voice and my incredibly insightful thoughts, I, Daryl Surratt, am a guest host on the greatest movie ever podcast. Talking about Streets of Fire with my other guest hosts, Gerald. And also Steve Harrison, who he had on as a guest in show 26. Go there, www.fearthegooberzilla.com. Check out that episode. And in case you didn't know about it, I was also a guest on the Greatest Movie Ever podcast when they reviewed Commando. It was me, as well as Dave and Joel from Dave and Joel's Fast Karate for the Gentleman. So be sure to check that one out, too. That concludes show number 47 of the Anime World Order podcast. The first and last time we will ever get anything from ADV. Yeah, we've got a track record. The company sends us something. We give our review of it. Never hear from them ever again. (laughs) We haven't heard from Funimation ever since they sent us those discs. Well, I always get saddled oh, wow. with the really bad show. You sure, ask for the really bad show each yeah, time. Yeah, it's your own fault. <laughs> it's your own fault. Absolutely, positively. 
That's true. I didn't know what I was getting into. Well, actually, we did hear from manga again, but I guess they haven't released anything, so it's functionally equivalent. (laughs) In any case, if you like what you heard and you want to hear our older episodes, you can go to www.animeworldorder.com and we have archives of all our previous episodes there. You can check out our review index if you just want to skip to particular shows, or you can just look at the feed. It's not like you can not see all the episodes we've done if you use podcatcher software or a website on the subject of that if you have any comments you'd like to leave for us i know we made a lot of requests like oh if you saw this write in let us know write in let us know our email address is animeworldorder at gmail.com we read all your emails even though we probably don't respond to them nearly as fast as we should we read we'll them. do another emails-only episode. Yeah, soon. I think we kind of make a habit of it every two months or so, because we figure, yeah, yeah, this is about how much people will tolerate that. There are some shows that do it like every fourth episode, which is crazy. You can also send us voicemail. Our voicemail number is 206-666-4296. And even though it's being extremely problematic, once again, there is the audio link. Mm-hmm. If you want to send mm-hmm. us MP3 feedback via a Flash application on our website. The most recent one that was sent to us was stored as FLV. And, of course, the embedded players only play back MP3s. I don't know how it got recorded as FLV, considering that its own Flash application recorded it. But they figured out a way. Hmm. You may just want to record an MP3 and email that to us. Although, to be quite honest, I don't think anybody has done that for like a year. That's a lot of work, too. We appreciate it Other when you guys Albert, do that. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So, next week, what do we have in store for the listeners who decide to stay? <laughs> I am going to be taking a look at a uh, couple of one-shots, the Spirit of Wonder series. Originally released by Animigo a whole long time ago, and then they remade one many years later that Bandai released. Sounds pretty cool. I am going to be reviewing a manga. It's just volume one of the manga because I've decided that it does nobody any good if I wait for manga that I like to come out for several volumes, then tell people to buy it. But, oh, nobody knew about it, so then nobody bought it, so you can't find it anywhere. So I'm starting with volume one of this, Satsuma Gishiden from Dark Horse. It is a samurai piece that is not by Kazuo Koike, but it's about as manly. It's Yukio Mishima approved. So how much raping does occur in this? Thus far, (laughs) there's been no rape, but there's been murder of women. Not a whole lot, mind you. But there is quite a bit of manly shirtless men, or men in loincloths being manly and masculine. Sounds sounds like a Daryl show. By the way, Yukio Mishimo (laughs) liked the guys. (laughs) No, really? (laughs) I'm shocked. Shocked, it I takes a you. real man's man to stage a coup on the government. <laughs> <laughs> and I am going to be going back and revisiting the giant robot side of things and reviewing Mazenkaiser. Something... I don't want to know. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Everybody ready? Get it on. Next week. <laughs> Anime yes. World Order podcast. <laughs> we'll see you around. <laughs>